Hello, and welcome to Meet Our Makers, an artist interview podcast produced in association with Beats Per Minute. I'm your host, Jeremy J. Fassett. On this episode, we get to meet Aeneas Mitchell. Aeneas Mitchell is a singer and songwriter hailing from Vermont, who has quite a few albums under her belt at this point, including a brand new one. But she's become pretty famous as of late due to the success of the musical she created, wrote, composed, Hadestown. In this chat, Aeneas and I do discuss Hadestown, including its very long history, which goes back over 10 years at this point, and its possible future. But we do also talk about her brand new solo record, which is self-titled. It just came out in January, and it is, maybe by some metric, her most personal album yet. We talk about the process of recording it, of writing it, and of uprooting her life from New York City to Vermont right before the COVID pandemic hit. We talk about what it was like getting ready to release a solo album in light of Town, of something so enormous. And we talk a little bit about what it was like for her to win all those awards. So please enjoy, and thank you for listening. This is me meeting Anais Mitchell. And um, I don't know if you want the camera off or on, I leave it up to you guys. Oh, oh what do you prefer? I don't, I don't care. <laughs> we can make it, it like, okay, we can choose, it's like old fashioned radio. You can say hi and then turn it off. Do you want to do that? Oh, sure, let's do that. that Once we turn it on, maybe we we won't. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Ooh, look at your guitars. Yeah. See, now I get to see your beautiful like wooden yeah apparatus in your ceiling. So pretty. Yeah. <laughs> my, um, my Zoom jacket that I wear that makes me feel like legitimate. Oh, is this like your formal your your Zoom business jacket? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is just my work clothes. So here I am. <laughs> so how are you? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm um I'm up here in Vermont, mm-hmm. uh, which is where I've been living um since the pandemic started. Uh it's my home state. And um mm. so yeah, I'm like I'm in the little studio space, which is right next to our house, and it's uh cozy place to be yeah I think I heard or read that you moved that you relocated there like literally just before everything closed down um yeah but it was certainly not the plan like it was (laughs) um it was a very dramatic (laughs) 11th hour decision like we were living Mm -hmm. in New York City and um I was nine months pregnant with our second kid Mm. um when the pandemic started to hit New York and I actually had a friend in Seattle, you know, how they were a couple of weeks ahead mm-hmm. of us, and she was like, you should get out of the city <laughs> right now. And I was like, no, I got the midwives. I got the whole, I've been nesting in the apartment. I'm like ready. <laughs> and then it just God, looked worse and worse. And, um, uh, one day we didn't have a car. Like we had given up our car cause we didn't need it in the city. And I was like, I think we should buy a car just in case. <laughs> We need to leave. Make a quick escape. <laughs> yeah. And we did. We bought a car. And then a couple of days later, I was like, let's go. Um, mm. The baby was born a week later. And then, oh, geez. yeah. Yeah. So she was, she was ready. Um, and then it was like, so we, we had fled to um, my parents' farm. I grew up on this sheep farm um, and my parents have a house on this land and then my brother's family has a house on the land. And when my grandparents were alive, they had a little house and Mm. um, we moved into their house and, um, and we're not going like the upshot is we're not coming back to the city. (laughs) You've you've officially (laughs) moved back to Vermont. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't the the plan at all, but then it turned out, um, to be really the right time. Like, I think we would have stayed in the city five more years or maybe 10, but um, it was, yeah, it was so extraordinary. I know that I'm sure you have like talked to people who experience this, but just the way that it, this whole era has been so traumatic for so many people. And then on the other side of that coin, there's like a lot of people that felt like, wow, it's been very healing because mm-hmm. of the kind of, wrench in the gears of the machinations of whatever your life was um 
to suddenly like have the space and time to reconnect with your family. And like, in our case with the natural world and, and for me with my kind of songwriting muse mm. and um, it felt really, uh, really healthy. Yeah. How long were you in the city for? We were there for seven years altogether, okay. but it wasn't completely um, uh, consecutive. Mm. There was one. Yeah. So you mentioned your songwriting, I assume that is part of what led to this new batch of songs, kind of having that space and time to do that, maybe. Um, so you have this new record coming out in January, January 28th. It's self-titled, Anais Mitchell, your first, I guess that makes sense, your first self-titled. Oh, there are people who do multiple self-titled albums. Really? Um, yeah. Didn't Led Zeppelin do like five? Oh, yeah, yeah. But they have numbers. I, mean, I guess that's, that's a- true. That's true. I guess they had numbers. I swear there's more. But anyway, it's self-titled. It's out January 28th. And we will unpack this new record uh, more over the next uh, you know, few minutes. But if you could like boil this record down to like a sentiment what would how would you do that yeah uh you know I like someone asked me this the other day and I I said a thing that I hadn't really said out loud or thought of before but I think it's true like I think it's a record um about growing up like Mm. it's um that's the that's the like nutshell do you want me to unpack it or no we can we'll do it as we go along but that totally makes sense I mean I did I got a chance to listen to it um this morning and that that's that totally makes sense that's I would think that's an accurate assessment I know you probably just hadn't really thought of it that way until recently but I think that makes a lot of sense a lot of the songs have the have lyrics about kind of remembering the past and then going towards the future and there's a lot of that kind of in between modes going on here I felt um I think people always like give artists more credit for a kind of intentionality <laughs> with mm-hmm. stuff when really it's like they just kind of they come out whatever's mm-hmm. going to come out comes out and they and yeah they do speak to each other but you might not have intended that for that to happen sometimes yeah, like yes. you come up with 10 or 11 songs and then you look back and you're like wait those are all so linked how did I didn't mean to do that that kind yeah, of thing exactly and your songs, even before Hades Town, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little while, um, you know, you, you're, you've been known for these kinds of storytelling type songs and kind of going back to old folktale style, folklore style songs. Um, you even did the um, Child Ballads record. So why, where did these new songs come from? Because they do strike me as being markedly more personal. Totally. Yeah, I, um, so right, I haven't put out a songwriter record under my name in 10 years. Mm-hmm. I, most of that time I was working on Hadestown, this musical that just took over my world for yeah. a lot of years. Um, and also working on Bonnelly Horseman and, and Child mm-hmm. Ballads and, um, and all of those projects are like, yeah, I get to sort of take on the voices of other characters and, and tell other stories. And, um, there's a real freedom in that to sort of put on the, cloak of the costume of another character and and gain access to the kind of like larger than life mythical you know stuff mm-hmm. and yeah, these- it's very oral tradition type kind of kind of stuff that you've gotten into it has that same feel to it yeah yeah these songs it's a really almost like an exception to the rule for me like most of the time that's the type of song I would gravitate towards writing but but these are all um me (laughs) the singer the speaker in the song is me the stories are my own story and um they're they're like not larger than life you know they're like life size Mm -hmm. they're exactly like real life size um and but when I was writing them it didn't feel different you know it didn't feel it just felt like I I guess I had something to say Mm. You don't always have, you know, sometimes a writer's life is pretty, pretty mundane. And so you got a grasp of these other stories. Um, but it felt like in this moment, I, uh, me and A.S. Mitchell had something to say. Yeah, and there's, uh, there's that one song, I'm forgetting the title of it now since I only listened this morning, but there's that one song where it's sort of about you looking through stuff in your grandparents' attic. Is that one of the songs? Is that Revenant? Revenant. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that, that kind of, those kind of moments, like you say, life can be kind of mundane, but then you have those moments that are like these really, really quiet epiphanies. And I feel like that's what a lot of these songs are. 
Yeah, I felt like I was at a watershed in my life. Hence the last song. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And that phrase, I mean, that's where that song came from, is that phrase kept passing through my mind, like, oh, I'm at a watershed in my life. And and I think, like, you don't get that many of them, Mm. you know, just uh, where you kind of can see, yeah, you can see where you've come from and and you can sort of see what lies ahead and you you have a clearing, you have a kind of perspective. Um, most of the time we're like just keeping our head down. Like we're what we're, what we're in the woods, you know, we're scaling the mountain or coming down the other side, but we can't see the, 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 what do you call it? Geometry. Sure. The landscape. <laughs> yeah. There's another <laughs> word for it. Topography. Yes. The topography. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. The topography of a life. And, um, mm. Yeah, I, I got to um, speak at this college graduation, actually, the school that I went to when I was oh, that's fun. young. And yeah, I never had done that before. And I had this feeling like, oh, that's another watershed. You know, when you're 22 and you're coming out of school, that's a watershed moment. And so I felt like, so I sang that song to them mm. and I felt like I was, I was looking across like from my little mountain peak to their mountain mm. That's so nice. <laughs> That's such a nice like vibe, that sort of image. But it's true. I mean, you're right. We don't have we don't have moments like that all the time. I mean, that's kind of I guess what makes them special. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious how then since the writing style of these songs is quite at least subject-wise is quite different from stuff on Young Men in America and before that. Um, how is the actual writing process different or, and, or the recording process? How, how did it change from anything you've done in the past? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I had sort of, with the exception of one song on the record, they're all, they're all new. Like they came out of the pandemic time. Some mm-hmm. of them I had started, I maybe had like a verse and I just could not figure out how to finish them. And I think partly I felt, um, when I was working on Hadestown, I, I, I became so single-minded about it that I, it was as if I was cheating on the show. <laughs> I would work on my own songs. Um, and so, yeah, I had them a couple ideas kind of kicking around, but, but I, they didn't feel good or done or um, whatever. And then when, when this sort of moment of stillness happened, um, things just started to flow again. And um I did something actually that I, people have been telling me my whole life that I should try. And I was always like, no, I'm, you know, that's not how I roll. And basically it's this idea of like with some other artists, right. Committing to writing a song, a song a day for a week, just to, Mm. just just to say yes to whatever, you know, idea comes and write it. Um, And me, like I tend to, I, I think things have to be hard. (laughs) I think it has to take a long time. Sometimes, you know, a decade in the case of Haiti style, I, I, I tend to, and I have a sort of narrative about that, like that I'm a slow writer and then I'm like a painstaking writer and it has to hurt. (laughs) (laughs) There's been a few experiences I've had in the last couple of years that sort of changed my mind about that. Um, my Bonnet Horseman band is one of them like that music, um, obviously that it really rests on the traditional material. The first record we made does, and we've, we've since made an original album, but it's, it, uh, there's a, there's a sort of, um, calm feeling to not having to not feeling like you have to like make it all up from scratch type of feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, but there was something about that meeting of minds and hearts and musicianship that just felt so easy. felt so like, intuitive and easy. And I almost didn't trust it because I was like, it's gotta be hard. Is this weird? Is it, how can it be good? How can it be beautiful? Um, but it, but it was the opposite thing where it was like, ah, it, it's flowing because it's right, you know? Mm. And, um, and so, okay. So, so that happened. And then with this, this songwriting, like song a day thing, I just was like, can I swear on this podcast or not? Of course. Okay. Right. I was like, fuck, I got to do that. Like the guy, a guy asked if I would do it. And I had just had this little baby. I thought, how am I going to even, you know, do this with this tiny infant, but they do sleep a lot when they're first born, they sleep a lot. (laughs) 
like, fuck it, I'm going to say yes to it. And I, and I did it and I found it really healing, like to have to trust, trust whatever idea came through and follow it wherever it wanted to go um, and not overthink it and not second guess it. And so a few of the songs on this record um, were started from that place of just mm. like, whatever wants to pass through this morning, I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to follow it. And then there was something about gaining access to that flow that helped me to return to the, the ones I couldn't finish and finish them. Um, mm. Where it's suddenly like it felt easy. And I don't expect that to always be, <laughs> you know, but it's, if it happens, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I do feel like there is a little bit of that sort of mythic thing that we we do with songwriting, like build it up as this thing that, yeah, as you say, must be like a, a gauntlet, like you must make it through the song. But sometimes, I mean, didn't Fiona Apple write Criminal in like 40 minutes? Isn't that like the legend of that I song? Totally believe it. I totally believe it. Absolutely. <laughs> so like sometimes it just happens. And I think yeah. it's it sounds like a it sounds like it was a nice way for you to almost kind of force yourself into a different way of of conceiving a song yeah yeah I think there was something about getting out of my own way and just being vulnerable and just being uh open to what mm-hmm. might want to come through and then I really so so I started to feel that there were there was a critical mass of songs and like I really wanted to record them and I I felt like I got to do it right away I almost in the same way of like just don't overthink it I was afraid if I sat on them for too long I don't know what would happen. They would get cold or I'd get too anxious about it or it would, for, for some reason. So I was like, I got, I got to do this. I got to make this record like now. And I reached out to Josh, who is my Josh Kaufman, who is my bandmate um, in Bonnie Light Horseman. And he is an incredible producer. I mean, he's he produces our records for our band. And um, he also made a record with Eric Johnson, the third member of our band. And um he's done a ton of records in the last few years, like very busy and beautiful stuff that's coming out of this era for him. Um, and we decided to go to this weird old, beautiful church studio in um, Hudson Valley called Dreamland, which is where we have done some recording for Bonnie Light. And, um, and also to get JT Bates and Mike Lewis to come from Minneapolis to work on the record. That's um, JT plays drums and Mike plays um, bass and saxophone. And um, these are all like friends, deep kind of old friends. And also we've made music together in Binley Horseman and, and otherwise. Um, and so it felt, it felt casual in a way, even though it was it had because of the pandemic, it had to be very intentional. Those guys drove from Minneapolis because no one wanted to fly anywhere, um, you know, and it was really like, I got it. I want to I want to do this re- record right now. But in the moment of the recording of it, it felt like, oh, I'm just like hanging out with my friends. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously we were chasing the songs and we were chasing a feeling there, but it was um, more casual than I think in my younger years, I, I would have felt a little more anxious about the recording process and just you're on the clock and it's like expensive and you want to get it right. And you, you know, playing with a whole lot of musicians potentially that you don't actually know. Yeah. Um, so this felt different in, in all of those ways. And was it largely recorded live then? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it was. And that was another thing. And I don't feel like puritanical about that. And I don't think Josh does either. It's kind of like whatever works. Mm-hmm. I think people make beautiful records all kinds of ways. Um, but for me right now and for these songs, it just wanted to happen on the floor live together. Um, and, and so that's how we recorded it. How did, I think I read this, how did Nico Muli get involved? Because the the woodwinds on the record, they're subtle, but they're so pretty. Yeah. So I was wondering how he got involved with this project. Um, yeah, I reached out to Nico. I'm a, I'm a massive fan. Um, I love his work with Sam Amidon. Mm-hmm. Um, that I see the sign record that Sam Amidon made with him just as like in my pantheon of like the greatest <laughs> of all time. And um, so I, I, I wanted to work with him. And I also, I wanted, I thought it would be cool uh, to bring an element of that kind of um chamber arrangement into what was otherwise a really live uh, mm-hmm. 
scenario. And actually, there's a couple songs that Nico arranged that I think are some of his best work that didn't make it onto the record, like they, <sighs> because. It's. I, it took me months <laughs> to sequence the album. It was like a total nightmare. I couldn't figure it out. And I realized I had to cut a couple songs and these are the ones that went. So I'm going to release them at some point when you, if you want to hear like the deep cuts, like the deep mm-hmm. Nico stuff, that's going to be, uh, that'll be forthcoming. And are those uh, his arrangements on the first track, Brooklyn Bridge? Yes, that's right. Yes. So yeah, pretty. Strings. <laughs> it makes me cry. It's so subtle that it makes me cry. Yeah. Things come in. Yeah. Know. There's something very nostalgic and very yearning about that moment. So but yes. it's something he excels at. So that yes. makes perfect sense. Yeah. He's so, <laughs> so fun with also. He's oh, I bet. Really was he was he there with you? No, no. Okay. A lot of texting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in real time from the studio. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. So you mentioned you haven't made a solo solo record in about 10 years. Um Obviously, Hades Town took over your life for quite a while, and you had m- many other plates spinning at the same time. Did you feel now any sort of pressure for this record in light of something as massive as Hades Town, or was it kind of like apples and oranges, like that was that part and this is this part? You know, I can I know what you're talking about, and I can picture a time in my life when I would have felt that, and potentially even after Hades Town opened on Broadway. I had like a year in New York City. I could have been working on this record. You know, I could have. And I think um, I wasn't ready or I, I I may have felt that kind of pressure about like, what's the what's your next thing going to be? Um, there was a way in which like when the pandemic happened and, when, and being in Vermont, being so far removed from everything and everyone, I felt very invisible. Like mm. I felt like it was between me and the muse, you know? And it was like, and maybe my feeling about like, we got to record this right away was almost like, I didn't want to give myself time to get in my head about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's how it <laughs> felt. And it is something about being in Vermont. It's, uh, that feeling of being at my grandparents' house as a little kid and just, you know, you're sort of one with the the house and the landscape and you like get up, this is in the, that Revenant song, you sort of like get upset about something in the house and just run out the door into the garden and like hide your face in the tall flowers. Like that kind of just, uh, I guess it's an unselfconscious feeling that I felt I was reaching towards again. It's hard to be in that state yeah. as a grown up. Do you think, so if there wasn't that much of a, of a weight from that pressure, do you think that working on Hades Done for so long influenced this record at all? I know that I'm a different writer now than I was before Hades Town, but I couldn't really mm-hmm. put my finger on what that is. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think there was a way in which it was like the, the freedom of not having to write for like a narrative arc or a character arc, you know, they, mm-hmm. they so many demands on a theater song. It's, it, it has to be more than just poetry, right? It has to have a, uh, a result. It has to. It has to have a linear result and and move a story forward and and develop a character. Um, and there was literally a lot of feedback. Like I was work. I would present you know drafts of songs and and verses to my director and our dramaturg and our producers, and they would say, "Well, this works, but you know this is beautiful, but it doesn't actually work very hard on behalf of our <laughs> the story that you're trying to tell." And whereas with these songs. It's like all the, um, it's like, there's no net, you know, there's no, there's no parameters really. Mm-hmm. So I think being able to just be a little more liminal in some of them felt really freeing. Mm. So we should talk about the Hades town of it all. Um, since it is like we have been saying, been quite a, a, a life sort of, vortex you've been in for quite a while and now you're on the kind of other side of it I suppose um so obviously the show 
was quite a big success on Broadway. It's still running. I'm I have not seen it, but I'm going in February. So I'm finally oh, gonna get to see it. I'm but so glad you're doing. Yeah, I'm so excited too, because I have been sort of following it since the album because I think what a lot of people didn't know, at least when you started showing it as a musical um, now, since I guess it actually started as a musical a long, long time ago, yeah. once it before it hit Broadway, I don't think a lot of people realized that it had been this other entity in your life for so long already. So if you could just kind of take us back, what and what compelled this project for you in the first place? And then what has it been like sort of watching it and being alongside it as it mutates and becomes all these other things? Yeah, just to just to like piggyback on what you're saying, isn't it funny how like people discover a thing sometimes when the world discovers it and then it's like, oh, like best new artist or it's like someone oh, sure. being like, hey, sound burst on the scene and it's like, actually that person has been working on that shit for, you know, 20 years or however yeah. long takes you know playing like the coffee houses and the, the dive bars until one day like mm -hmm. but yeah um, it's very it's very strange <laughs> it's, there's always more to the ice the tip of the iceberg there's more than what is visible there's so mm -hmm. much like, unseen things that are like work that goes into anything that anyone does um what was the question <laughs> we can we can start with so I think I'm correct in saying that you started Hades Town the the be very very beginning of it about 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah. So it started in Vermont, um, right. full circle, which is where I am now. Um, uh, in 2006 and 2007, and it was a DIY. Uh, community theater project. So okay. basically like me and um, one of the orchestrators who stayed with the show. Um, oh, that's so cool. All the way to Broadway. Yeah. Um, and then an early director named Ben Matchstick um, and all of our friends uh, just from different bands around Vermont. And we put on the show two years in a row and it was like sort of a proto version of the thing. Like, um, it was, it was much shorter and it was much more abstract. Um, okay. and, but it was staged. It was, you know, um, it was meant for the stage and it was meant to be acted and mm -hmm. uh, a visual, a visual experience as well as an audio one. Um, and so, yeah. So then after that, I, I really wanted to make a studio record of the songs. And so I revised them again and, um, uh, and so Michael Chorney and I, Michael's the, the first orchestrator, started working with Todd Sikafus, who produced the album for us and then became a co-arranger with Michael um, going forward on the show. And okay. so um, we made that record that took like a year to make. It was a just very mystical and joyous process of finding those singers who sing on there. Yeah, we should mention the original Hadestown album had Bonnie Vare and Anita Franco, amongst others, which I could imagine that I would—that's quite a coup to get to get those people on your record to play these parts. Oh, it was so special and weird, you know. Was, yeah. I, I was I was recording for um, Ani DeFranco's label at the time, Righteous Babe, mm -hmm. Records, and that album came out on Righteous Babe. And so Ani was the first person who said, "Yes, I will. I'll, I'll sing on this thing," and that was a, a, a beautiful kind of leap of faith for her. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and exciting. And then I started to think about well, who else could I get? And um, Greg Brown sings the voice of Hades on there. Hayden triplets are on there as the mm -hmm. face. Like, um, and I sing the Eurydice part. And I remember like I was, I was hunting for an Orpheus and I actually, I had asked a couple of people who had said no. Um, <laughs> and then out of the blue, like I got offered this support tour for Bonnie Vare in Europe. And um, I'd never heard that music before. This was the Forever Forever Go album. And I, I never heard it before. Um, and the first night, you know, that, <laughs> that I saw them play and Justin opened his mouth, I was like, oh shit, mm. <laughs> it's gotta be him. It's gotta be him. Um, and I'm lucky that he said he would do it because, um, I think it was like the window open, like he was, mm. you know, the window open. We were, we had just become friends. And I was like, will you do this thing? He said, yes. I went to Eau Claire and recorded with him. And then I drove to um, Iowa city and recorded with Greg Brown. And I think, you know, it had been a different year, who knows who would have been available or up for that type of thing. Um, but it was, a, it was a special time. Mm. 
same thing with the players on the records. We had beautiful players um, on that album. So anyway, that happened. And then a few years went by. The, the piece was now living just in the in the music world as kind of an audio piece. And I was touring with Michael Chorney and his small orchestra, singing the songs myself. I sang, I, I did the show in different cities with different like friends of mine singing the different mm. roles. Um, and I always wanted to see the show uh, acted again, see it as a theater show and wanted to develop it into like a full length professional piece of musical theater, but it took a while to figure out how to make that happen. Who were the partners for that? I, I moved to New York. That was, part of, you know, part of the reason I moved to New York. Um, I found Rachel Chavkin, uh, this incredible director and the producers who um, saw us through this entire development process, basically from that album to Broadway, which was um, a long time, nine years or something. You know, that's so yeah. So then, like, how did it feel to be in it though? Like, once, especially once it was up and running, and you were seeing this thing that you had been attached to for over a decade at that point, because the show premiered in New York on Broadway, I think in 2019. That's right. Right. So that's 12, 13 years later. Like, how did it feel to kind of see this? And there were more parts to it. You, there were extra songs that weren't originally there. There were actors of this like super high caliber on this humongous stage, both physically and metaphorically. Like, how did it feel to see this thing, this baby of yours become this huge Broadway production? Yeah, it was like, it was a blur, man. I was so <laughs> stressed out <laughs> leading up leading up to all of the productions that we did, like off-Broadway, you know, London, but especially Broadway was just, it, I was like getting very little sleep because I was rewriting it, you know, right up until they basically took the, took that power. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've, I almost feel like when it opened, I was too tired to really see it. Do you mm, know what I mean? Yeah. It felt, it felt so glorious to, to, it, the team is unbelievable, you know, the creative team as well as the, the actors. Um, but I, I'm saying all this because it was really powerful to get to go back and see the reopening of the show on Broadway after the lockdown, um, which was oh, nearly yeah. half, that it was that it was not um, not happening. And then to see it on the stage again was like it was it was a very meta event because it felt like. I couldn't tell where people's enthusiasm for the reopening of the show ended and their enthusiasm for just like the world coming back to life, <laughs> you know, right. began. Uh, but it was really powerful to see it again. Um, and I guess like it always has felt, but especially this moment of letting go of it, like it never was mine. Do you know, mm, like I yeah. gave every ounce of myself that I could to it, but it never was mine. And it, and I don't, I don't know what other people's experience of it is, or um, like, I remember leading up to the opening on Broadway, I was like in this very stressed out, um, sleepless state. And I went for a jog at like 4am because I was like still awake and I needed to get, well, yeah, you're like buzzing. <laughs> yeah. So I went for a jog and I, and I jogged by the theater in the early morning, 4am. And there was people were like camped out waiting to get tickets there. Oh, wow. Some of them, they were young kids, you know, and some of them were like yeah. dressed up as our characters. And I just couldn't believe like, what is this show? Like, who are these kids? Yeah. I have no idea what their relationship is with it. And that's a beautiful thing. It's like, it's got a life of its own. Yeah. Which I guess albums do too, you know, in a very different way, but it is true. Once you put this record out in January, it, like, I forget who I was talking to for this show, but they basically said, you know, I've been with this album for so long. And once I put it out, it is no longer mine. Yeah. It is everyone else's. And I feel like that must be true of a thing like Hades Town too, even though it's a very different organism and maybe a grander thing. Mm -hmm. You're right. It kind of isn't yours anymore. It's kind of like it is, but it's also everyone's. And yeah. you're right, you don't you don't know ever like that kid's relationship is totally different from the person behind him. And yeah, that's kind of beautiful in a and in, in strange in a in a in a in a lovely way. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. So you know, not to embarrass you, but it's you know, it's not every day that I get to speak with a Tony winner. 
and Grammy winner. <laughs> um, although we should, interesting side note that I didn't realize your, your first Grammy nomination actually came in 2011. Yeah, um, that's great. Oh, good for, research. I'm impressed. For best <laughs> recording packaging, which yeah. I love that Grammy. I love that category um, yeah. for Young Man in America, which I do think is kind of like a funny little side note because you did end up winning a Grammy for Town after you had won a Tony for Town, And I think, what did it win at Tony's? It won featured actor and play, and musical and score. It won, it won a bunch of Tony's. Yeah, I mean, my question ends up boiling down to like, do you even remember that night? And then if you do, like what, how does that feel kind of as this like, for better or worse, the sort of culmination of the year in your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that was a blur as well. And I would say a lot of times I kind of, um, I've sort of stopped looking for meaning in those moments when everyone is like, this is so meaningful. How do you feel? <laughs> oh my God, doesn't it mean? And it's, you know, there's been so many of those moments in my life, like the Tony's was one of them, even my own wedding, you know, even my own wedding was like such a beautiful event. And I, I wasn't entirely at because there's so much sort of um, pressure on, on those moments. Um, I think like the joy is the joy comes in the process, right? Like the joy comes yeah, I think I just said what I wanted to say. Joy is <laughs> in the process and not the product, even though you might be gunning for the product for like years. Um, but it did, it did feel like a real celebration of our team. The orchestrators won a Tony. That was huge for me. That meant a lot because mm -hmm. those guys didn't come from, I mean, nor did I come from the music theater world. They came from the music world and they had to do a lot of learning on the fly. Um, and yeah, to see Andre De Shields, you know, in his 70s, pick up his first Tony and that mm -hmm. amazing speech he made. Rachel Chavkin, our director, like deserved that Tony. She, I felt like she should have won it for the other show <laughs> Broadway called Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, but she didn't win that one. And she's just so extraordinary, so brilliant. And um, it did feel like a community win, kind of. Mm -hmm. And also sort of a, a win for the underdogs in a way, because our show didn't follow the kind of conventional channels. It, 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 it really was an organic process that took as long as it took. Um, and so it was really nice to see that validated. And, you know, I also have this feeling about the Grammys and the Tonys where when you watch it on TV from your house, you're like, you can't believe it's real. Like you can't believe, I don't know quite what I mean by that, but like, I didn't think, could I win a Tony? Like, is that real? Could I like write a musical and then win a Tony for it? And the answer is, yeah, like you can. <laughs> and I actually love to see that the Grammys, like, I think they're doing a really good job of, um, like, they're roping a lot of artists into the process of actually the Grammy voting. Like, I'm seeing the categories reflect more mm. of the kind of indie music that I think deserves to have a light shined on it. Um, than I did when I, like years ago, when it really felt like, oh, it's all just the boys in the back room, like some kind of corporate thing. I feel like it's more um, democratic now. Mm -hmm. um, and that's exciting. Yeah, yeah I feel like, I feel like that, that comes in waves, it seems. Uh, yeah. I feel like, you know, I feel like some years, the Grammys, it, like that shows. And then other years, it's like, Maybe it shows a little bit less, but the the nominations came out what yesterday. I don't know if you, yeah, like looked everyone at them. nominated. <laughs> really, yeah. <laughs> My feed is all full of nominations. It's very sweet. Yeah, I was I was very happy to see some Japanese breakfast getting in there. Is cool. Yeah. Totally. Um, Sylvanesso nominated. Sylvanesso. I I just saw them. They were my first concert since COVID. I saw them too on this last tour they were on. So good. Where are you, New York? Or <laughs> I'm in Connecticut, so I saw them. I saw them in New Haven. I saw yeah. them in Burlington, Vermont. Yeah, no, it's so good. So I'm glad I'm, this is their second nomination. They got nominated last time too, which is really, really cool. Oh, cool. Um, Aruj Aftab in Best New Artist. She's great. I was very shocked and thrilled to see her there. So sometimes, yeah, sometimes they get stuff right. Yeah. And then other people who maybe I'm not going to name. Yeah. <laughs> didn't be there, but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Um, 
So going back to Hadestown for a minute. So, you know, you, you kind of mentioned, you kind of led into my next question a little bit, uh, mentioning that this really was like a DIY thing. I mean, and you even said that before, when you started this in Vermont, it was kind of this like shaggy DIY thing. And now it's this polished grand Broadway musical. And it feels like the kind of musical that's going to be on Broadway for like years of like rotating casts. It's just mm-hmm. like, that tends to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm because it was so DIY and because this wasn't necessarily the ultimate intention when you started it, I am curious sort of, were you a musical theater person before this, like in your own life? Like, is that, a, is that a, a sphere in which you, you spent time like with your own interests? Right. Um, I'm not like a theater kid in the, mm-hmm. you know, with that, what are, all the things that go along with that. Like, but oh, I, yeah, I know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I did, um, I, I do love musicals. Like I, I especially love sung through musicals. I think it's kind of identified that early on. Like I, I always loved Les Mis. Like I, I've seen many versions of Les Mis, including like a total punk rock DIY one that was like illegal. Mm-hmm. And it, <laughs> And it was like so devastating every time. I just love it. It's transformative. Love that show. Um, I love Hamilton. I love mm. that. I, I I love that storytelling, and I love his rhymes. I think he's an amazing rhymer. Anyway, uh, yeah, an, an underrated skill for songwriters is rhyming because I feel like it's so easy to find a clumsy rhyme, but some people just find those. You're like, how did you? Like Amy Mann does that for me. Like I don't know how you whip these out, these crazy rhymes. So yeah, great. That's a very under undervalued skill in songwriters. I have a whole, like, uh, we could talk about rhymes for, you know, the rest of this podcast if you want to, but before we do, um, I love, um, I love Sweeney Todd, the Sondheim musical, which is also mostly sung through. It's got a book, but it's mostly sung through. And, um, recently actually I've gotten, I have done like a deep dive on Rodgers and Hammerstein stuff just because my daughter's oh, okay. really into it. And um, I always like liked it, but in this removed way. Um, I think that the potential for just powerfully transformative art that is stories, that musicalized storytelling, it's just like, there's nothing like that for me. It's so deep. It moves me so much. Um and then I say that, and also I say like a lot of the stuff that I see in the music theater um, doesn't do it for me. doesn't mm-hmm. give me those big feelings that I'm after. Um, yeah. Or it gives me the big feelings, but I feel like it, it might, it's like my heart says yes. And my head says no, you know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it certainly was for me a big learning curve to figure out like, well, how do we take this piece that doesn't want to be a conventional musical, doesn't want to be a book musical and make it into a really sort of generous act of storytelling for the audience and satisfy what people crave from a dramatic story event, but also not kind of disfigure what it is as a piece of music. Mm -hmm. And is, is it something you'd want to do again? with a different story or is it a world that you kind of would be like, okay, I visited it. I'm good now. Yeah. Um, so for a while I couldn't even really entertain the idea. Um, (laughs) I, it just took so long to do that one. And I, um, I also right now I'm just having so much fun making records like, um, Mm -hmm. this, this self-titled record. And we made another Bonnie light record also. Um, and, uh, just like really enjoying making music for the sake of music. Um, but that night that I saw the reopening of Hadestown on Broadway, I, I, I did, I spent like most of the first act kind of brainstorming, like <laughs> what could my next musical be? I think you just have, it would have to be the right thing, the right collaborators and the right, the right story, because it requires so much focus and effort. Yeah. Um, just, you have to be obsessed with it. So do you think. Me. Do you think that if they ever, I mean, if there's some secret you can't talk about, you can act like you don't know anything, but do you think if they ever made a movie out of Hadestown, would you want to be involved or would you say, you know what, that's a whole other beast. You take it. No, no. I've totally thought about it. Talked about it at like a film adaptation of Hadestown. I would love for that to happen. And I would love to be part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would love to rewrite and write for it. And I think, you know, um, uh, 
I'd like for it to be its own animal and not feel like it was the Broadway show, but put on screen. Right. Um, yeah. Well, also with, with Hadestown, I mean, since I know the album and the, the story of Eurydice enough, it unlike some other shows, plays and musicals, I feel like you could do so much to make it not feel like a, like a filmed play. Because mm-hmm. I feel like so often, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a film guy, so I feel like a lot of the time you see a play that's adapted to a movie and it, even if it's really good, you can kind of feel the constrictions of the stage or the staging. And I feel like with a story like Eurydice's story with that entire tale, you could do so much with it. I don't, I, I feel mm-hmm. like you could, you could take it out of the theater pretty, pretty swiftly. That's, that's beautiful to hear. Yeah. It's a strange story because it really, it's a mythic story and it's it lives in this metaphorical space. It doesn't want to be tied down by the kind of trappings of literalism, but it also requires that at some level. It wants it just sort of it wants to live in this like poetic liminal space. Mm-hmm. Figuring out how to do that visually on a screen is a it's a that's that'll be exciting at some point. It's something yeah. it's again something that I felt like, oh I really want this to happen, but I I, I think I I don't want it to happen now. Yeah. And I don't want to think about it yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you don't, and you don't need to. <laughs> so because, because what you'd rather focus on right now is making records and making music and kind of going back to what you've, what, what, what was your first love? You know, it's kind of perfect timing for this record to come out, this self-titled album. What are you most excited about with this new record? I know you're touring, which would have been unthinkable a year ago. Yeah. Um, so what, what are you most excited about with this record to, to come out in a couple months? Mm. Yeah. What am I most excited about? That's an interesting question. Like I, I'm excited to be back in the flow as a songwriter. And it's funny because I guess this goes back to the thing about like the moments of fruition are never the moment. Like it's really the process that you're after or the joy, the joy comes not in the moment when everyone's like, Oh, Hey. And I have to say like, I'm now in this phase of promotion of the album Mm -hmm. and it's amazing how quickly I start to feel like an imposter. (laughs) You know what I mean? And feel like desperate to go write another record so that I'm like doing something. I feel like I'm doing (laughs) what I do instead of just talking about it. Um, so I guess like, but what I would love, what I would love is if this record is a sort of a herald of an era for me, you know, Mm -hmm. where, um, where I, where I, I move a little more intuitively and I, and I stay in a flow, you know, and I, and I keep writing, keep recording and then keep sharing that music, but not as if my life depended, not as if my identity depended upon it, you know, um, I would love to kind of just like, uh, just like, stand back, <laughs> stand back. I'm going to make a bunch of records in a row. Like that's what I'm hoping for. You Why never not go for yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, do a few shows and be like, all right, back to the studio for me. Yeah. I mean, it would be great. I think like that, the striking that right balance of that, where you're making new work uh, and you feel alive in that sense. Um, and these songs, they still feel alive. I think that's one thing that for me is, um, exciting about being able to um tour this record that we has never been the music has never been shared you know and I feel I feel like this stuff is very alive for me there's times when I've made albums and by the time the album is out I'm already you know tired of the stuff um well this was a much uh more compressed time frame probably than usual which seems almost in step with your goals here of like capturing that moment and capturing that sort of lightning in a bottle moment of, of writing these songs now and recording them now, mm-hmm. and then basically getting them out now. Cause it's, mm-hmm. I'm imagining the record hasn't been finished and mastered and, and ready for that long. Mm. Well, I've been sitting on it for a bit longer than I wish, but it's, okay. it's happening. It's, <laughs> happening. <laughs> it's rolling out. It is. It I is guess, happening. I guess what I mean is in the past, if I had new material, if I had new songs, I probably would like trot them out at a show. I'd right. be sharing them, you know, in different, and then you sort of go in the studio and you, you think, you know, what a thing is. Whereas this stuff was all brand new and, um, and remains so because I just haven't played it live. Right. But that's, that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I would sorry. imagine. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, do you think you'll play Hades soundtracks or is that a whole other thing you can leave out? Yeah, no, you know what? I, that's an interesting question. Cause the first tour that we're doing is, um, it's end of January. Uh, I don't know when this comes out, but it's the end of January and the month of February. And um, yeah, I have a couple. I have a couple teacher coworkers who are going to see you in New York, and they're very excited. Oh, cool! <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited. Well, this is a tour that we've been trying to make happen for a really long time. Um, with this, uh, it's sort of produced by this company, AMP, and and it's all it's a lot of um, performing arts centers. Mm. Um, and they, they have a certain sort of clientele and demographic and those guys are really interested in, you know, Hades town. And so I think I, I said, <laughs> I committed to singing a couple of Hades town songs each night, just to have that be part of the mix. So people would, would make, draw the line between that yeah. and then what I'm doing now. Um, and that's fine. Totally fine. I, I don't know at my other shows, if I, I'm so psyched to be playing new stuff. Um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it'll be very, a very nice experience to get back on stage with your own songs from your mouth in front of an audience. Like, I'm so happy that we get, we're kind of getting to do that again. So. Yeah, me too. It's, I think a lot of people are feeling the joy of it, having it, it having been taken away for so long. Mm. I see a lot of musicians on stage and I can see they're just really enjoying themselves. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm I'm happy it's going okay so far. So hopefully it yeah. continues to get even better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. I'm touching wood right now. Yeah. Oh, I think this is fake wood, but I'll I'll touch this as well. <laughs> you got guitars behind you. <laughs> That's true. I well, that I looks could, like no wood right there. They're too far away. Yeah. Um well thank you very much for chatting with me, Anais. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about your new record in Hades Town and everything else in between. Really a pleasure. Thank you so much for yeah. doing it. So the record, self-titled Anais Mitchell, comes out on January 28th. I, I don't know if this will be out before or just after that, but if the record's already out, then go listen to it. If it's not already out, go pre-order it. <laughs> we'll put it that way. <laughs> thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Have a, have a good holiday. Have a good rest of your week. Yes, you too. Take care. Thanks. Bye, you Jeremy. too.